1 John 4, verses 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Leslie. I'll say it again. It's good to be back together with you today. Uh, and I know this is different. Uh, it feels different. But just to see your faces today and to give you the opportunity to see one another, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. We've been isolated and separated now for three months, I guess, I would say. Three months. And this parking lot and and building has been really lonely over these past three months. It really has. I've seen some of you, actually a lot of you I've seen here and there, or stop, you've stopped by the church office or run into you out in the community. Uh, but this past Wednesday, it was so refreshing and so rejuvenating to have all our Bethany leadership teams here uh, meeting and our youth group at the same time. They were out here in a big circle and a fire pit here in the middle. It, was just, it brought back life to our church campus, our church building. It just brought people back. And this morning, as it's so good to be back together, I know some of you are joining us online as well, and I'm glad for that too, if you couldn't make it today. And I wondered actually if some of you would show up in your pajamas today uh, with, <laughs> with a cup of coffee, or maybe in your car you are, and that's why you didn't want to get out. Maybe you're, you're, uh, you've gotten so used to it at home, I wondered if we'd see that, but just glad you're here. Um, and I know we've formed some new habits maybe over the few months watching at home, but I want to encourage you. As we're in this prolonged kind of rollout of regathering due to our remodel and uh, to not get in the habit of staying away from our gatherings. I know that the online stream has been a great resource and it's been the next best compromise, I would say, to 
worship together. But once restrictions fully lift and you feel ready to return as an individual, I encourage you to remember, nothing can replace face-to-face, side-by-side, life-on-life community of the local church. Nothing can replace that. Online can't replace it. I mean, even this is, is good, but it just we, we need to be together. So remember that today. We are called as a body to love one another in the world we live in, the church. And remember, the church is God's plan A. It's not his plan B. It's his plan A for the world. Not just for those who, who follow Christ, but for us to make the message known through the church. That's us. It's plan A. It's hard to do that through a live stream from our separate homes and couches. It is. Well, if I was to, as we start today looking at this First John passage, if I was to ask you to define love, we may get as many answers to that question as we have people in this parking lot or watching online at home. Would you say it's a feeling? Would you say it's action? Would you say it's a heart emotion? Would you say it's a sacrifice? Would you say it's uh, being in love? I saw in a book I was reading this week, some researchers asked some four to eight-year-olds this question. What does love mean? They asked a bunch of children. Here are a few of their answers. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. That was one. Here's another one. Love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Interesting. They were much deeper and, and more rich answers than they were expecting. Here's another one. Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. That's kind of philosophical for an eight-year-old, huh? Here's another one. When you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. Here's the last one. I thought this was sweet. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time even when his hands have arthritis too. That's love. What is love? I think it's best if God is love to let God define it for us. Because we have so many different answers of what it is. It's giving a French fry, right? (laughs) Painting someone's fingernails who can't do it. A quote by C.S. Lewis about God's love summarizes our passage this morning so well and why God's perspective on love should be our primary perspective. Here was the quote C.S. Lewis said. He said, He loved us not because we're so lovable, but because he is love. That's really the summarizing of our passage today. John's been called the apostle of love. He mentions it more than anybody in his letter, and his gospel. And when you read 1 John 4, 7, 21, as we just heard it read, it's clear John wants us to help us understand biblical love. He mentions the word 27 times in our passage Leslie just read today. So this morning we're going to keep it simple, a little shorter in our message today, uh, and simplify this passage by just dividing it into two halves, the source of love and the power of love. We're just going to keep it simple. So maybe you've got your outline. You could click it on your email if you need it. Uh, you've maybe got a paper copy coming in. If you want to take some notes, we're going to simplify. So let's talk about the source of love first. Let's begin by looking at the source of love. Verses 7 through 12 of 1 John chapter 4 give us 
and describe for us the source of love. And here it is. Uh, if you have your outline, your fill-ins today, God the Father is the source of all love. He has shown love in Jesus Christ, and he is working it in us. He's the source of all love. He's shown it in Jesus. He's working it in us. God the Father. This has been John's goal in this letter, this little letter. He wants us to know the source of true love, and that being God. Like a spring that gives forth crystal clear water, refreshing water that, that quenches your parched mouth. God is like the geyser of love. He's the source. Look at verses 7 through 8 in chapter 4 with me. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. There it is. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. He is the source. You hear it right there. John exhorts us right at the beginning of this passage. Look, love is from God. And if you're truly a new creature, born of him is the words he uses, you know him. And to know him is to know his love. Because God is love and he abides in you, so you too love one another. This is the summary of those verses. Now, I'm not saying that one who doesn't follow Christ can't love in any way this morning. But I'm saying that if love is from God, any type of love that's outside of that source or not driven by that source, it must fall short of true biblical Godly love, if it's not being drawn upon and drunk and, and pulled from the source of true love. Love outside of that, while it may exist, will always fall short. I'm saying that to know things about God this morning, and John is saying, if he's the source of love and we're to be loving, to know right things about God, right doctrine, is not enough. It's not enough to even to evidence to show that you're a true follower of, of God, of Christ, just to know good doctrine. We know in other places in the Bible that demons have great doctrine. They know things about Jesus, probably more than we do. And yet they're not, we wouldn't call them followers of Christ. They don't love. They don't evidence that love of someone who's truly been born by, of God. And this morning John is saying, and, and what I'm, hopefully uh, communicating to us that, that true doctrine and a true born-again heart will be accompanied by love. It has to be. Godly love. I mean, and, and actually, I would go so far as to say that is the most important sign. You know, John's been giving us tests to know if we know God all throughout this book. Doctrinal tests, relational tests, ethical tests. This is the the test of all. Do you love others? It's, in many ways, you can't, I mean, it must go with right doctrine, but in some ways it's even more important to show and to evidence that you know God. Because on your own, here's why it's so important, on your own, apart from God, your heart is not capable of producing the self, kind of self-sacrificial love we see in God my heart, on my own. Real love, as John has said in these first few verses, has to have its source in God. Come from him. Be driven by him. Be gifted by him to you. When we're regenerated, that's the big kind of theological word, John says 
born again, made alive, spiritually dead, our cold hearts are they're kindled, they're stoked, they're given that refreshing drink of water by God's Spirit. Romans 5.8 says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, unable to produce that love, enemies of God, you might say, Christ died for us. Showing that love. Opening up the source of it to people that never could manufacture that love on their own. He opens the floodgate in his death for us. Paul says in Romans 5, I want you to think this morning of all the different spheres of life that you move in. Your family, colleagues, co-workers, mailman, the the, the checker at the grocery store, your online presence, all those spheres that we all live and move in. When you evaluate and look at your life, behavior, words, actions in those spheres, would you be able to say your primary motivating factor is love from the source of God? The things you say, the words that come out, the facial expressions you show to your spouse. Would those who watch you interact with the checker at the store or the gas attendant attendant uh, employee at Fred Meyers or pull up your Facebook feed go, wow, that's, that's love. That's love. Or how about this? If we all lived in a glass house, what would we see? <laughs> what would we see? Now, most of our deficiency in love comes from our, really, I would say, our deficiency in understanding what God's love really is what it truly is and that's what we have to see love shown most clearly in christ so the source is god where do we see it most clearly so that our love can grow and be like it it's in christ so god is the source but it's shown most clearly in christ but how many of you relate to god's love like this we all have distorted views of it listen to this quote from dane ortland he says how many of you maybe view god's love like this perhaps as believers today we know god loves us we really believe that But if we were to more closely examine how we actually relate to the Father moment by moment, which reveals our actual theology, whatever we may believe on paper, many of us tend to believe it's a love infected with disappointment. He loves us, but it's a flustered love, he said. I love that. Like he's just, God's just, yeah, I love her, but, you know, maybe more like a parent's love. We see him looking down on us with paternal affection, but slightly raised eyebrows. How are they still falling so short so much after all I've done for them in Christ? How many of you maybe have that kind of distorted view of God's love? He's just like always one moment away from kind of kicking you to the curb (laughs) and saying, I'm done. Raised eyebrows. He's just always flustered with you. I can't believe it. He did it again. What's our problem there? If maybe that's you. You know what we do? We project our own capacities to love onto God. So we think, well, this is how I love, and oh man, I get so frustrated, and I, I, it's so poor, and it, it waxes, and it wanes, it comes, and it goes, and I fail at it at times. So, I mean, God's love must be like that, right? We project it onto him. That, well, that must be then how God loves. He must too. But look at the love he's shown us. Look down at your text, verses 9 and 10, chapter 4, or if you're at home with us and you've got your Bible open. 
In this is love. Here's the showing of it. In this the love of God was made manifest among us. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. In this is love. There's the showing of it again. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Big word there. Maybe you're, how many of your uh, translations say atoning sacrifice? Anybody out there? Probably, some of you probably say atoning sacrifice. A few of you. It's a big word. This is it. He says, this is manifest, shown. It's love. God sent his only son to die so we might live. It's really simple. He says, you want to know what love is? This is it. This, is, this was manifest. It was made known. We haven't loved God, Romans 5 said. Romans 5 went on to say, we were weak. We were still sinners. We were still enemies, actually. And what happened? Jesus left behind the angels of heaven to put himself into the hands of murderous humanity. That's love. While we were still sinners, while we were enemies, while we were weak. B.B. Warfield called that what Jesus did the voluntary endurance of unutterable anguish. I love that phrase. (laughs) He took on the voluntary role of enduring what he would hear on earth for you and I. This unutterable anguish, that's love. He says he propitiation, atonement's the other word I said. It means that he came to earth, and uh, I like to use an example, think of a sponge. What does propitiation mean? These are a big word, but it's really important. Think of a sponge that you have. You got to wash your car. You get the bucket ready. You put the soap in it, the water, and you spray it. You get all the bubbles, and you got this sponge in your hand. And what do you need to do? You need to get some suds and wash the car. So you take the sponge, and you, you dip it in, and what does it do? It absorbs and takes in the water and the soap. After a while, though, it looks pretty grimy, doesn't it? It's not a clean sponge anymore. It's full of dirt and junk and gunk from your car. I mean, that's the, that's the concept of propitiation. Is Jesus is in some ways like that sponge for us. And on the cross, he soaked up. He absorbed the junk, the gunk, the sin of your life and the wrath that you deserved. He absorbed it and soaked it up like a sponge. That's propitiation. And so what that means is, if someone's already soaked up your wrath, if somebody's already soaked up what you deserve, as Jesus was on the cross, it's done. God's not going to wring out the sponge over your head someday. (laughs) It's done. Jesus soaked it up for you. He absorbed it. You know, we tend to look at, maybe as you think of that Dane Ortland quote, that God's love might be kind of like the expiration date on a milk jug. Like at some point, it's going to go bad. It's got a shelf life. You know, like, okay, he loves me, but, you know, come, come August 2020, I'm not so sure. That might taste a little spoiled. And at some point, he's going to kind of drink it. Oh, spit us out. Ugh, you know? But he says it is manifest in Jesus. It was showcased in Jesus, made clear, held up for you in the life and death of Jesus. In this is love, John says, Christ came. Can you imagine God's love expiring when he was willing to give up his son to show that love? Jesus, you know, I'm really glad you went to earth, the father would say. You know, I'm glad you went to earth to die for humanity, but I'm just tired of them. They're expired 
let's just call the whole thing off. After the elaborate thousands of year plan that he went through, that in a moment he would call it off? No way. No way. It might look like that in the world right now, that God is saying, you know what? I'm done with this place. I'm kind of over it. You might be tempted to think that way today. Maybe you at home too are tempted to think that way. Christ died to show us that God's love is as boundless as himself. And if he's an infinite God, then what does that mean about his love? It's infinite. Jonathan Edwards called, described it as an ocean without shores or bottom. That's God's love. Imagine the sky and the heavens, how far they go. A height, a, a depth, a breadth, a length that's immeasurable. It's shown in him. And here's our kind of third point on this first one is that he's also working it out in you. So he's the source. It's shown in Jesus, and he's going to work it out in you, that love. He's going to work it in you. John makes the argument in verses 10 through 12 that God is invisible. Did you hear that in there? God is invisible. No one has seen the fullness of God. Okay, well, Moses saw a part, a theophany they're called. He saw his back, maybe, or a burning bush. Or Jacob wrestled with the God in some form. They saw part of God, but no one's seen the fullness of God. Here's the thing. He, he's invisible. But if it's he's the source, and if it's God's love that truly lives in you, we get to show, showcase God. We get to expose people to God. What John is saying is people can see, can't see God, but they can see God in your love. They can see God in your love, even if he's invisible. But how does the world see Christians? It's a good thing to, I mean, that's a broad thing to say. But it's a good question to ask ourselves. Do they see us as a political party? They see us as maybe legalistic or hypocritical or grumpy or arrogant or insensitive. I don't know. Maybe some would say, yeah, I, I know my Christian neighbor. They're really loving. Or how about our neighbors listening through the chain link fence right now? I know some of you are back there. If you're back there, hi, neighbors. We may be the only picture of God they ever get. He's invisible. But not in our love. Not in your love for each other and for our neighbors and for people in your life. That's where they get to see God because he is invisible. Or your neighbor at home or your family members. Or if Bethany Church were to disappear tomorrow, would they say, I've been thinking about this, would the community say, wow, we miss the love that Bethany Church brought to our community? I hope so. And I hope in our future, increasingly even more so, that that would be what they would say about us. Man, we miss their love. In this partisan, kind of politically divided, violent time, I'm afraid that our primary characteristic we're showing right now might not be love. For some of you may be. Not for all of us. I know this is challenging, even as Daniel Aiken describes it. He says, Here's the great challenge about this call to love. The great and challenging application to those commands is that we must go to those who don't want us there with love. We must share a gospel they don't want to hear. We must love those who may hate us and even kill us in return. 
Because we are connected to Jesus through the new birth, we must go, he says, and live like Jesus among our friends and our enemies. That's the challenge, isn't it? That is the challenge. We have a message that apart from the work of spirit in somebody's life, they don't want to hear. We have a message people might even hate. And if you're attached to that one who they might dislike and hate, what will that mean for you? It's a challenge. But John's passage doesn't stop there. There's encouragement as we move from the source of love to the power of love, which will answer this challenge for us in verses 13 to 21. So let's look at it. The second half to close today. When we look at the power of God's love, we'll find that as God is the source of that love, he's also the power, the power of his presence. And the identity he gives us in himself, that's what makes us loving. The power of his presence and the identity he gives us. Here's our point. God's love gives us assurance of his presence, confidence in judgment, and the command to show it. Let me say it again. God's love gives us assurance of his presence, the confidence in judgment, and the command to show it. We want to look at these three things. First, in verses 13 through 16, is the powerful assurance of his presence that you have as a follower of Christ. John reminds us by invoking here in verses 13 through 16, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He invokes the Trinity here to assure us of, of knowing his presence. If you see yourself loving, he says, by this we know his Spirit abides in us and us in him. There's this word abide again that's come up over and over again in John's letter. To confess that Jesus is the divine Son of God lets you know God abides in you so that we can know and believe the love God has for us. Look at verse 16. So we've come to know, there it is, that knowing you know, and to believe the love that God has for us. You're sure of it. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. John Piper says these verses, he says, I, I think we will love each other and those outside with a distinct supernatural love when we taste the fellowship of the Trinity. What does that mean? It gets back to what John's been saying all along in his letter. Your relationship with God can't just be this objective thing that kind of swirls around in your brain. It's got to be something that translates into real fellowship, knowing you know Jesus, intimacy and communing with one that you know, life on life with Jesus, his love exploding on the face and surface of your heart. It's got to be so much more than just some things you know. It's got to translate down into, as John Piper said, tasting the fellowship of the Trinity. Do you know Father, Son, and Spirit? Do you spend time with God to know him? In other words, to know God as Father and Son and Spirit to, to, is to intimately live with him and he with you. When you do that, it turns the command to love others then from a duty, something that feels like a chore, into an absolute joy that's fueled by and springs out, not out of guilt, but out of gospel gratitude. That's what John's getting at here. We love because he first, what? 
loved us. And, and once he loves us, he begins to live in us through faith and to make us in by his power into loving people. Ephesians 5, 1 said, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. There you are, you're loved. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul says this at the turning point in the book of Ephesians. Be an imitator of God in love. But you can't imitate what you don't know, can you? You can't imitate what you don't know. That's why your kids, our kids watch us so closely. They imitate us, or they, they watch their older sibling, younger siblings. Or you're trained at a new job. You watch to imitate to know something. And you can't know God's love apart from what Christ has accomplished for you. You just can't. There's no way. As he gave himself up for you, Paul says in Ephesians 5. So love is, in some ways, yes, it's not less than an emotion. It's tied to our hearts. But it's more. It's a giving up of ourself. It's a giving up of our wants and needs and desires. And you can't do that apart from seeing the beautiful Savior give up everything he did for you. And seeing it every day. And rehearsing it every day. So the love is the giving up of ourselves for others. But here's the great news. Even if God demands for us to give of ourselves, even if he asks you to give of yourself even unto death, which would be what? Losing, losing your life? John is giving us assurance that you can never lose God. The stuff going on in the world right now, I mean, I sometimes, I, I've thought, of, I've been tempted to think that. What can I lose? What am I going to lose? How far are certain things going to go? How much is our culture going to change? How much are Christians going to become more and more under the microscope of our culture and get pushed to the fringes? Maybe a lot more. I would say probably a lot more. He may ask us to give up the status that you have in your life. He may ask you to give up finances in your life. He may ask you to give up material goods. He may ask you to give up your reputation. He may, I hope not, I would pray not, but he may ask one of us to give up our life for him. But you can't lose him. Which means the worst thing that could happen to a Christian, losing your life, would be the best thing. Because you have him. And you'd instantly be with him. He abides in you, is what John says. And you in him. You could give up everything you have to love someone and still not lose the best thing there is. God himself. But unless you know him as the best thing, you're not going to be willing to give up lesser things. Do you see that? Unless you know him as the best thing in your life, you're not going to be willing to give up lesser, uh, lesser things. You just won't. Because a lot of times those lesser things, where do they sit in our life? They sit as the best thing. Those are called idols in the Bible. We've talked about that a lot at Bethany Church. Those are called idols. Once he becomes the best thing and you truly know him as that, yeah, it still hurts to give up something. We don't, we're not Stoics. It hurts to lose reputation. It hurts to get made fun of for loving Jesus. It hurts to give up of our finances to support a mission or a church. It does. But we have him and we'll never lose him. 
until he's our best thing, we won't be able to give up those lesser things. Do you see it? When your identity becomes primarily one who is loved by God, you'll become a loving person. When that's the identity you live out of, as a loving person who's loved by God, you will become more and more a loving person. We live out of our identities, don't we? You do too. How you see yourself is how you live. If your identity is, hey, I'm just the funny one, the life of the party. That's my identity. That's what you live out of. I'm, if you're, I, you know what, I'm, a, I'm just a depressed person. That becomes your primary identity. You live out of that. That's, just, that's me, I'm a depressed person. If you become a child of God and that's your primary identity, you'll begin to live out of that more and more. We live out of our identities. We know how this works, how we raise our children, those who've grown up in environments where they were belittled, constantly criticized, and neglected, grow up with identities that are what? Self-loathing, broken. When you realize God's given you the assurance of his presence and love, and you live out of that identity, you become loving. Well, John shifts gears to close today. He shifts gears here with the message that God's love in your life. It's got a goal. It's got a purpose. So you got the power of the assurance of it. He abides in you and you in him. But here in verses 17 through 18, John tells us that the work of the love in us is to, to complete us, to mature us, to grow us, so that we live, as we live now, as we face God on the judgment day, you will have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. Are you confident of that? Ask yourself that question for a moment. What do you think of when you think of the judgment day of God? How many of you have this uh, thought of like, there's going to be a giant video screen and all the sins of your past life are going to be played for the entirety of the, 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 the stands of heaven, the people there to see and look at and point at and, and laugh and mock. I mean, I, I've, have you ever wrestled with that? Like, what's the judgment seat day going to be like? Is it a Netflix special on my all my sins? <laughs> John wants us to have confidence here in this passage. Do you know Jesus spoke more of the coming judgment day than anyone else? Anyone else? Look at what John wants for you. Look at verse 17. By this love, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Confidence. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. John is saying to us that the love of God that you have is casting out from you, from inside of you, the fear of punishment from God. Why? Because as verse 18 says, as he is, so also we are in the world. I think what John means by that in this verse is that as Christ is in us, as we abide in him, as we love others, as we are in the world, as so he is, when God looks at you and when he will look at you on that final day of judgment as a follower of Jesus Christ, he will see you as no different than his son, Jesus Christ. He's not going to use that moment to shame you, to mock you, to give you one last moment of thinking, oh, has his love become expired milk? No. He will not. John says you can have confidence in that day. You can be certain of that day, that you will, you will pass through it with beauty and with love of God. As he is, so are we. As God loves his son, so he loves you. 
as God sees his beauty of his son and looks upon him with favor, so he will too on that judgment day with you. You have nothing to fear if you're in Christ. Remember? The sponge has already worked for you. <laughs> it's already been soaked up what you deserve. We love because he first loved us. Remember he says that in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Would Jesus draw near to you as an enemy, die for you as a sinner, to drop you midway, or to let you get all the way to the doorstep of heaven and say, ah, no, 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 that's far enough, far enough. Turn back, I got another destination for you. No, no, he wouldn't do that. Dane Ortland goes on again. Let's listen to him again. He says, reject the devil's whispers that God's tender heart for you has grown a little colder. Because the enemy will do that. Or a little stiffer. He's not flustered by your sinfulness. His deepest disappointment is with your tepid thoughts of his heart. Christ died placarding, that means manifesting, holding up before you the love of God. He's not going to turn from you. He's not going to be flustered. He's not going to grow cold with you. So if you are a child of God today, by his abiding presence, by your loving relationship, be confident and live without fear of coming judgment. That's what John wants you to have. And lean into the closing commandment to love others. Look at verse 20. It says in verse 20 of chapter 4, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. John is saying to us, if you don't love your brother, these are hard words, you can't love God. He's saying you can't love God. He says it's easier to love your brother, actually, because you can see your brother sitting next to you here. Or you look at the cars next to you there. You can see your brother and sister there. His argument is from a lesser to greater here. He's saying you can love your brother because you see them. They're next to you. You can give them something tangible. You can ask them, what's your need? What do you need? And you can do it. You can help them immediately. But he's saying it's harder to love an invisible God. You can't see God, he says. We can't see him. Do you remember Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen him yet believe? Why? It's harder. We don't see Jesus. You've never seen him. We definitely don't see God the Father who is spirit. But you see your brother and sister. He says it's easier to love them. So John is saying, if you do not love your brother and sister, which is easier than loving an invisible God, if you do not love your brother and sister, you can see, how could you possibly be one who loves the invisible God who you can't even see? They're two sides of the same coin, really. To love God is to love our brothers and sisters and neighbors. To love our neighbor is to exhibit the love of God. They're two sides of the same coin. They have to go together in the life of a believer. There's serious words as we close today. To think about your life. If you love God, you will love others. It's easier in some sense. You can see them. You can't see God.
this summer we're going to offer a few different um, community events. If we were uh, on the um, screen at home or we were streaming, I would show a slide to you. But I, I was just thinking about this th- this week. This, our staff was too talking about, yes, it's, it's good to imply, apply this to our lives and our personal lives, but us as a church too. Are we, how can we love our community in real tangible ways? We're going to do a few things this summer, do some kind of outdoor events. I'm going to just mention them to you just to put them on your radar that we're going to ask you to help us out with. And um, they're going to be kind of drive-in events for people to come in our community. We're going to put them out on Canby Now, on Facebook and other places. And just let our community know we're here. We love you. We're, we're here. We know you're here. July 11th, they're a little tentative, but probably July 11th we're going to do a church the chalk event. We'll have some food and lots of chalk and open up places for families and people to come to bring kids. What did I say? Church the church the chalk the church yeah church the chalk that we could build a chalk made a church made out of chalk I don't know chalk the church uh, is going to be our first one. August we're going to do a barbecue and basketball. We're going to get a couple more hoops out there. Barbecue probably for free for the neighborhood. Invite our neighbors just to be here. No real agenda other than offer some food and play some basketball. And then late August when it's starting to get dark a little earlier, we're going to do outdoor movie night uh, for the community and invite you to be there to be there at the event, but also to participate to help. So be thinking about that. We may even send out a link this week if you want to help with any of those events just to love our community, just to be present and be a presence for the sake of Jesus here. Let me pray for us and the worship team will come back up. Lord Jesus, we ask you today to make us more loving. Give us the assurance of your love that we can understand that we have you abiding in us and living in us and through us. So let us see the, that, that Christ died for us. He is the model. You are the source of love we heard today. So let us draw deeply on that source. Let us pull and draw on our tasting of the, the, the work of the Trinity, you in our life, God, Father, Son, and Spirit. But then let us also find confidence and assurance of knowing that, God, you are working out your, your, your love in us by the assurance of, of your presence and your power, God. So Jesus, I don't know where each and every one of us are today. Maybe we've struggled with loving this week a lot. But maybe remember that you are faithful and just to cleanse us from all sin if we confess to you. And so we bring those to you, remembering that your love is not like some expired milk. It's not going to wax and wane. You are faithful to us. You're committed to us because of Christ and what he's done for us. So God, let the gospel dwell in us richly this week. Let it not just be the ABCs, but the A to Z for us as we look and know that you are love and you desire us to be loving too. In Christ's name we pray, amen.